Welcome to podcast number 32 for Thanks for Your Service. Thanks for Your Service is a news and information resource and its focus is on historical topics relating to the Australian military. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Thanks for Your Service. Our website is www.thanksforyourservice.net. For Anzac Day 2020, Australia Post released a commemorative stamp issue. This stamp issue features all on canvas paintings that were inspired by the events of two world wars on the home front and in combat overseas. Stella Bowen was employed as an Australian official war artist during World War II. Bomber Crew is a moving tribute to six Australians and one Englishman comprising a Lancaster bomber crew of number 460 Squadron, Royal Australian Air Force. On the 28th of April 1944, the night after Bowen completed the initial sketches for the painting, the airmen were reported missing over Germany. One of the crew that went missing was RAF Flying Officer Hector Heck Harrison. Joining us on the line from Sydney is Rob Travan, and Rob, many thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, David. I'm much appreciated. Now, who was Heck Harrison? Uh, Heck Harrison, he was, he's my, technically my first cousin once removed, so he's my grandmother's brother's son. Uh, he's a Lismore boy. Uh, he was born in June 1940. Uh, he was a butcher. He left school at 15 and worked in a local butcher in Lismore. He was from James Street, uh, Lismore, just across the road from the hospital. Uh, for those who are familiar with the town, it's a small town on the uh, north coast of New South Wales. He was also a member of the local uh, rifle club. He went to Lismore High School and he was very active in the Ballin Lighthouse and Lismore Surf Lifesaving Club, as well as being a state swimmer. So he's a very active young man, basically. In terms of the history and, and learning about your cousin, where did this uh, venture start and how did you come about locating uh, his World War II flight logbook? Well, it's always been family history and law, and my father has always spoken about it, Anzac Day or anything that came up, to do, came up regarding Lancasters or 460 Squadron or anything military aviation-wise. He always got a, a, a mention. So as I went into my teens, I became a little more interested. And then I started to look into the more details about what his military history was because Dad didn't really know too much. And a lot of it was family law. We didn't know it was true or not. And there was some fairly controversial information that was in the family, uh, namely how they were shot down and whether they survived the crash or not. So from that, I started doing research. And this is sort of pre-internet days, uh, which became was initially difficult, but looking at 460 Squadron records and his service history, I started to develop a bit of a picture of what he was doing and what happened. And then during the internet age, the late 90s, when you could start Googling everything and all these government agencies started storing everything on the internet for easy access. Uh, so the uh, military put the records to the Australian uh, national records, which you can research, and the Department of Defence in England started doing it, and then the Germans started doing it. You could start finding things out without having to travel, and more information became available. And in the end, 
it was looking through his records, it was like, well, hang on, he's been issued medals, but where are they? So I started looking, finding out who's got the medals, and then that led me to one of the relatives in Lismore. And in the process of looking for the medals, she produced his logbook and his flying helmet, and we couldn't believe it. So I have an electronic copy of it. I took photos of it, and it is just unbelievable reading. Being a Lismore, a Lismore boy at the age of 20 when World War II broke out, I think he initially enlisted in the Army. So take us through his sort of pathway into, uh, into joining the Australian military. Well, his whole family uh, was ex-military. So his father and three of his father's brothers all went ashore in Gallipoli. And so in the Harris family, they were all very uh, active members. So it was almost just the done thing. War started. So he, he had an interest in aviation. We know that. So he actually joined the Air Force first, but there was a huge delay from his joining to when he was at, well, his application to when he was accepted. My understanding is he got frustrated and just went and joined the Army and was immediately taken because that's what they needed straight away. And so he started his basic training and ended up sort of four months through his basic training. And then the Air Force finally came back and basically pinched him from the army, and uh, he started his uh, Air Force career. And when he joined the RAF, what did he join as? He went through the testing phase, and they identified that he would be a good gunner. So he ended up joining as an air gunner, and this was right about the time when aviation started to have more electronics. And so that air gunner role morphed into a air gunner wireless operator so he ended up becoming what's known as a WAP air wireless operator air gunner which means you can fill any gunnery position in any uh, bomber but you can also operate all the electrical equipment uh, being the radios and what later became uh, aircraft detection systems radar in those bombers. So it became a more and more complicated role. So he initially ended up purely as a air gunner observer whilst operator when he was on the Wellingtons. But then when he went on to the Lancaster, they're a far more complicated aircraft with a lot more sophisticated electronics. So his primary role in that aircraft was purely just the whilst operator uh, air gunner and so if an air gunner became sick or injured he could take that position immediately because he was trained for it but his primary role on the link was just the wireless operator after he was trained was he deployed first to the middle east theater what happened there that's correct so he was trained in canada all the air gunnery training or most of it took place in canada then he went to england for his wireless operator training and then he was uh, seconded to 162 Squadron in the Middle East, uh, based in Egypt. So they were operating the Wellington medium bomber there. So he was whilst operator air gunner on on Wellingtons, and that's basically all through 43 uh, was where he was. He was there for 12 months, late 42 to late 43, and they basically did a lot of scouting missions, a lot of jamming missions, uh, jamming Rommel's tank communications and then a lot of bombing missions into the Mediterranean, uh, Crete, uh, southern Italy and then a lot of Libya 
uh, anti-personnel and anti-tank bombing missions uh, during the Rommel, anti-Rommel campaign. Time he was flying in, in the Wellingtons, my understanding that his last flight in Egypt in 1942 was tragic for his crew, but he actually survived. Tell us a little about that. Well, that is correct. So in November 42, they took off late at night on the second mission of the day, and obviously it's Libya, it's hot, it's near the equator. They're on a bombing mission. So the aircraft's heavily loaded with fuel and bombs, and they've recently upgraded the co-pilot to captain, and they've got a brand-new co-pilot. And it was their actual first night flight together as a crew. I've had a look through their logbooks, and and they've taken off, and for whatever reason, the aircraft aircraft's become airborne, and the gear's in the process of retraction. And no one will ever really know what actually happened, whether the gear was retracted too early before the aircraft could get enough air. Did the engines fail or one of the engines fail? Nobody will know, but the aircraft settled back onto the runway while the gear was retracting and the right propeller struck the ground and that just caused a giant cartwheel. And the aircraft had 3,000 pounds of bombs on board and two or 3,000 litres of aviation fuel. So it cartwheeled, came to a rest, burst immediately into flames and heck chopped himself out he was tail gunner on this particular mission which saved his life he chopped himself out of the back of the airplane and ran through the fire and was burnt and as he escaped the aircraft the bombs detonated and just vaporized the aircraft there was absolutely nothing left of it Mm. so in his logbook uh, it basically says after 90 seconds or one and a half minutes the aircraft blew up and there's no, nothing remained. So it was a, obviously a very tragic set of circumstances on his what would have been his 34th mission in the Middle East. And then from the Middle East, he heads to Europe. That's correct. So he was burnt and injured in the, in the accident and spent uh, nearly two months recuperating. So he went back to England, recovered, and then went to 27OTU, which is a training squadron where he became a air gunner whilst operator, whilst operator instructor. So he spent 12 months basically teaching and checking new air gunners and new whilst operators as an experienced uh, crew. So those new crew would have uh, a good understanding of what to expect once they went onto the front line. And then, uh, obviously, uh, in Anzac Day for 2020, Australia Post uh, released the, the stamp issue, which, which fe- fe- uh, featured uh, Heck Harrison and the crew. Um, tell us about the circumstances which led up to Stella Bowen taking the sketches and then this, the sad demise of the whole crew. Well, basically... Uh, Heck and the crew, they formed up in early 44. All of them had been on previous tours, and this was all of them were second tourers. So uh, the Lancaster was new on the scene, having come in, in in probably the last six or eight months. So they found each other. Uh, one of the, There's another Lismore boy, Gordon Jackson, uh, was the bomb aimer. 
he formed up with that crew as well, and they must have known each other because they were both butchers in Lismore. And they started their second tour on the Lang. Now, it was their tense operation. They'd spent a lot of time uh, training before they went on their second tour. And then for some reason, no one knows why, they were chosen by the RAF, or the RAAF, I should say, to be the pin-up boys for Bomber Command Australia. So my understanding was, and it's been family history, and it it still hasn't been confirmed, although I'm in discussions with the Mormoral to find out the exact information, that they were supposed to finish their second tour and fly G for George back to Australia and then do a Bonds tour. So... I've heard it from one of the other relatives of one of the other crew. He was told exactly the same thing. So we're still in the, I'm still trying to find out from the Australian Warm World because I want to see it on paper before I believe it. But our family history was that was what's going to happen. Mm. I'm guessing that was part of that process. So Stella Bowen, being the Australian war artist for the RAAF, was based in London. She came to Binbrook where they were based and she started sketching uh, about a week before that, the RWF photographers came and took incredible high-resolution photos of the entire crew. So I'm extremely lucky as a relative to have these amazing, super high-resolution black-and-white photos of all the crew, and and my cousin is part of that. So Stella ended up coming to Binbrook on the 27th of April, 1944, and she started sketching them while I was prepping for the Friedrich Schaffen raid, which was the 27th of April, 1944. They were completely disinterested in her. She was just a, an artist drawing them. And they were getting ready, getting their suits, getting their gear on. And they took off at about 9.30 at night. Stella Bowen had taken these sketches. And the, and the process was that over the next few days, she would come back, finish the sketches, and then finish the painting. But the next day she was advised that the crew had failed to return and she had to finish the painting having met the crew, knowing they were most likely dead. And she told her brother it was basically one of the saddest things she's ever done doing this painting and knowing that she was basically painting ghosts. And that painting is still in the War Memorial today. And I think from the crew, there was one survivor. That's correct. So Thomas Lynch from Toowoomba, he was the tail gunner. Now, he has an interesting story as well, and thank, he, he did survive, and he was very badly injured. Now, I, I do not know how he was injured. He doesn't remember anything from the day before the crash until a week later when he woke up in the Baden-Baden hospital, military hospital, and he had his right leg amputated, and his left leg was quite badly injured as well, and he had other injuries, so... Uh, and he doesn't remember anything. Uh, so I have his diary, which I've read, and he doesn't give much insight into anything at all about the accident. He just obviously just can't remember it, whether it's through blood loss or shock or one of the many other reasons uh, that he may have lost his memory. doesn't remember anything. The good news about it is that he was repatriated. He spent about six or eight months in 
various camps in Germany. Then he was repatriated as an injured soldier back to to uh, England uh, because they obviously couldn't care for him with his injured leg. And he was reunited with his family. Now, his family assumed he was dead until they got a letter or they received a letter from him that took six months to get through the system uh, from the Red Cross back to Australia. So it was only just before he ended up back in England that the family found out that he was actually still alive. Mm. So my understanding is from my research and having been spent a lot of time in Lancaster bombers, uh, there's one over in Perth you can walk through, that he was lucky to bail out and it would have been at very high speed at very low altitude and in those particular in that particular position you don't sit behind the four machine guns in a lancaster turret you actually sit inside the gun the breeches are around your ears and so the, the top two guns the breeches are around your ears and the bottom two guns they're around your knees and you actually sit inside this giant gun mechanism so my guess is on the way down he was lucky enough to be able to get the turret rotated 90 degrees and bail out backwards and it's just broken his legs on the way out and uh, that's my guess amazing escape where does the crew rest now uh they're in dumbach uh, war memorial a cemetery which is southern germany basically south east of munich so there's a very large Air Force uh, cemetery there, which is incredibly well cared for. And they were repatriated, re-interned there from their initial burial, which was in a little town called Laar in the Black Forest in southwestern Germany. Rob, did you ever find out whatever happened to his medals? Yes, I did. So that was a very, very long story. Uh, So in in a nutshell, uh, one of my relatives has them. And they're extremely well cared for. And they're right next to, they're hung up in a very well presented, basically plaque and picture, right next to his brother's medals, uh, who was a decorated commando as well. So he was also a radio operator with the commando unit in World War II. So uh, he he basically rests next to his brother's medals So uh, in, the, in the family home. So... Uh, they are in a family and they're very well cared for, and which is great. It only and, took me about ten years to find them. And and his logbook, where is that? Well, that that's another mystery. The mystery started again because it was in Lismore at one of the relatives there, at the bottom at the hill, and she's passed on. And one of the other relatives has got it. And at the moment, there's this giant family ring around going on, like who's got the logbook? Who's got mm. the logbook? Because. I've been very fortunate enough to to have a copy of it, which is great. But the Harrisons are a very big clan, and someone's got it, and we just haven't worked out who's got it yet. Isn't that an amazing story in terms of uh, family history and uh, Heck Harrison being featured in Stella Bowen's uh, painting, which is the War Memorial. Rob, thank you very much for your time today. It's really appreciated. That's the podcast for today. You can find the relevant links to this podcast on our Facebook page. We're keen to hear your feedback. You can leave a comment on our Facebook page. And one of the ways to promote this podcast is through your feedback. If you're listening to us via iTunes or other podcasting apps, please leave a review. You can also support us via Patreon. 
Your gracious support helps us with costs such as hosting and production of the podcast. Even as little as $1 can help. The link is www.patreon.com forward slash thanks for your service. Thanks for listening.